Let us pray. Oh God, whose word is a lamp to our feet and a light to our path, open our eyes that we may behold wondrous things out of that word and rejoice as one who finds great spoil. Through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. Our reading this morning, again from Luke's Gospel, as Jeff and I in this Epiphany season think about those passages in the Gospels in which Jesus enters a home. Yes, and this season, Jesus enters a home as in all seasons. Actually, a little bit more likely this season, he'll find us home. Okay? Luke 7, verse 36, beginning. When one of the Pharisees invited Jesus to have dinner with him, he went to the Pharisee's house and reclined at the table. A woman in that town who lived a sinful life learned that Jesus was eating at the Pharisee's house, so she came there with an alabaster jar of perfume. As she stood behind him at his feet weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears. Then she wiped them with her hair, kissed them, and poured perfume on them. When the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, If this man were a prophet, he would know who is touching him and what kind of woman she is, that she's a sinner. Jesus answered him, Simon, I have something to tell you. Tell me, teacher, he said. Two people owed money to a certain money lender. One owed him 500 denarii and the other 50. Neither of them had the money to pay him back, so he forgave the debts of both. Now, which of them will love him more? Simon replied, I suppose the one who had the bigger debt forgiven. You have judged correctly, Jesus said. Then he turned toward the woman and said to Simon, Do you see this woman? I came into your house. You did not give me any water for my feet, but she wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You did not give me a kiss, but this woman, from the time I entered, has not stopped kissing my feet. You did not put oil on my head, but she has poured perfume on my feet. Therefore, I tell you, her many sins have been forgiven as her great love has shown. But whoever has been forgiven little loves little. Then Jesus said to her, your sins are forgiven. The other guests began to say among themselves, who is this who even forgives sins? Jesus said to the woman, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. This is the word of the Lord. A woman who lived a sinful life, a Pharisee. That's the contrast. And in in an ironic sense, and a surprising reversal, though the Pharisees had forced this false but powerful distinction, the joke was on them. Largely through the influence of the socially and religiously powerful Pharisees, there existed in Jesus' day a category of people called simply sinners. It was not a term used to describe some people who had been caught at a sin and thus accused of sinning, but a clearly distinguished permanently assigned subset of citizens marked as being best characterized and called sinners. Most often, those so marked were so because of how they gained their incomes. 
bewitted woman who sold her body to provide food for her children in an economy which disadvantaged her so. The one who sold out to the Romans and was a tax gatherer, for example, daily betraying the nation's interests. The man who worked in the pigsty to have something to eat, anything to eat, and therefore was unclean, unable to participate in any of the public religious practices. And the one who worked with the dead daily, and who too, therefore, was unclean and excluded from the religious life of his people. These and others were sinners. They knew it. They had quit trying not to be. This is not an individual or debatable judgment in Jesus' day. It simply is. Or so the Pharisees had persuaded ancient Israel in Jesus' day. They were the lost, often the least. Much harm and no help came to them once they were named among the sinners. The sinners knew what everyone else knew. They were sinners. They accepted the designation. They had little choice. The ancient text suggests no debate on this. Whole families, even parts of villages, were so designated without appeal and apparently without argument. But without hope, they were lost. But were there no shepherds? A lamb lost far from the fold is nonetheless for all of that still part of the flock. Eh? Remember what we were reminded of last week. The Pharisees were the shepherds of Israel. That was their calling. No matter how neglectful of it would they were, that was their calling. The role of the shepherd is to care for the flock and protect each sheep within the flock. The shepherd seeks at great sacrifice and finds with great rejoicing the lost lambs, every single one, every last one. Luke will persuade us that this, in his most well-known chapter, chapter 15, retelling the stories of the one lamb lost in contrast to the 99 safe in the fold, one found and celebrated lost coin among the nine never missing, of the younger brother with repentance returning to the home the elder brother never left. Restoration, return, reconciliation, repentance, reunion, rescue, these are the themes of Luke's gospel. In the providence of God, no one is better positioned to affect these joys than were the Pharisees. But they did not. Not at all. Whatever were the Pharisees, whatever their self-image, they were not the good shepherds of the people of God. That was not the mission they were on. Not nearly. In its stead, they were on the mission of making distinctions and thus marking people so as to separate out further the lost from the flock. Keep them at a distance. Make impossible the return. And what is more, separating themselves out from the majority muddled herd. The self-chosen name of the Pharisees means separate ones. They and they alone, by this self-designation, presented themselves as holy, the pure, the truly distinguished, above the pack, away from the herd, untouched, untouchable. A woman in town who lived a sinful life, a Pharisee. 
That's the contrast. But the joke's going to be on who? Simon, the Pharisee. That's all we'll never need to know about him. When you give out these designations, you're stuck with yours too. Had invited Jesus over to his place. It doesn't seem to be the big to-do of when Levi, the despised publican, invited Jesus to his home to meet all his friends. That was two chapters earlier in Luke's gospel on the subject of last week's sermon. And as we learned last week, they were invited to meet the Savior of sinners. Luke, Levi was the inviter. Levi knows himself to be a sinner who had left everything behind to follow Jesus and had done this at Jesus' simple call, a call heard at a tax booth of all places. Now, that was scandal. In the midst of the scandal, seated in a home, Jesus announced his mission. I have come to call sinners to repentance. That's it. Jesus, friend of sinners. It's 2,000 years later, and we delight in that thought. So what is the mission that Jesus is on when he comes into the home, not of a sinner, a publican, but of a Pharisee? The invitation would be ordinary, probably, if not from one friend to another, at least between equals, equals by the most important measure, equals before God and the law, pure, holy, separated out from the herd, Simon and Jesus both. In Luke's gospel early on, the Pharisees do not think that Jesus has come for them, but is one of them. Or if not one of them, one like them. Here in this home for the evening meal, they reclined together. This is not feet tucked under a table, but extended along something that we would call something like a chase lounge. And there they would have their leisurely meal feet up. They could rest more laying than sitting. Heads near one another, they could whisper during the meal and the long, easy evening after. Personal, intimate, Simon and Jesus. Just Simon and Jesus. Yes, others were there, but these two will speak alone in whispers. The choreography of dinner was carefully staged by Simon to have Jesus be at home in Simon's home. The town knew that Jesus was in Simon's home. They could imagine perhaps envy the evening. Then she comes in, a sinner. How did she get in? Was no one willing to risk touching her? And so she passed by them quickly while they tisk tisk, none daring to bar her way? Or was it at the expense of Jar leading the way, too precious to jostle? Did the room fill with whispers become silently sudden? Did some stand so as to quickly withdraw if necessary? Surely the easy part of the evening was over. Did they know what Bible commentators have presumed through the ages? She was a prostitute. Was the new young rabbi on center stage if he was not before? and everyone else whispering the predicted moves of the head table. The choreography now is altered. Someone else is directing it, and the script is now improv. Whose audience now? 
And who is performer? She seems to have paid no mind and to have done what we do when we are at our best. She played to an audience of one. And when done, it's beautiful to behold. Fully, wholly, devoted, loving, in love, we might be tempted to say. She offers an outrageously expensive alabaster jar of perfume. And she offers herself. There may be no more problematic phrase that can be used to describe this, this move, this moment, this scandal. Surely this is scandal too. This woman who lived a sinful life, as our translation says, offered herself to Jesus while he was laying down at a table. Offered herself. The staging remains critical. His feet would be up on a recliner, feet at nearly the height of head. They would be bare. She stands behind his feet weeping, says Luke. Her tears wet his feet. How deep was her weeping? How long? That his feet would become wet with tears. She wipes his feet dry using her hair. How low did she need to bow? How long wipe to dry his feet? She kissed his feet. She poured out the perfume on his feet. This scene is not a mere moment. It's an act. It's a full act in itself. She lingered long at her labor. This would take time. Luke gives us a leisurely description that we may linger long in it as well. And what is also so very necessary for the scene to be appreciated, Jesus lingers leisurely, allowing the full scene to play out without interruption. She is actor, he is audience, and he enjoys it. But of course, not everyone. So it's Simon's to speak first, if Jesus will not. He must bring the scandal to an end. It's his home. But it's not clear if he spoke aloud ever. Perhaps he muttered. Luke says he said to himself. He did not openly challenge his guest. If he were really were a prophet, he would know who she is, a sinner. She would know who is touching him. Luke is sure here to add the very visceral. She who gains her living by the illicit forbidden touch. She whose touching made her untouchable. She now touches. And he, Jesus, not a flinch. Now there are words. Simon, I have something to tell you. I admit to your friends, I can think a few things that I would more like Jesus to say to me. Jerry, something I want to tell you. I like to linger there, but it's a sermon and you're already pulling out your watches. As if this had all been planned out carefully, like a playwright, even the improv parts have been scripted. As if in the providence of God, this was all orchestrated and played out with careful staging and perfect timing. 
as if all the events leading up to this moment led up to this moment. Jesus tells Simon, I have something now to tell you. As if now and not up until now, Simon could hear it and learn it. Simon replies readily, tell me, teacher, there's hope in this moment. With that, Luke tells us the scene of the woman weeping at Jesus' feet has become illustration, demonstration, instruction. Jesus tells a story. It takes two long sentences. It's more than a commonplace. It's more a commonplace than a narrative, really. You know how it works, Simon. You've experienced this, right? Someone owes little, cannot pay it back, yet is fully forgiven. He's grateful. Someone owes much, cannot pay it back, yet is fully forgiven. He is grateful. But don't you know, Simon, don't you know, which of the two has the greater debt of gratitude? Yes, Simon knows, we all know, the one with a greater debt. Right, Jesus says. This is the way we know it all works. It just worked that way tonight. Here, in your home. Now Jesus is teaching and teasing, preaching and pleading all at once. Still speaking to Simon. You, thinking yourself to have a little debt, didn't give me water to wash my feet. You, knowing that feet were in full view on the lounge all evening. She, knowing herself to have great debt, wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You, thinking you didn't owe much, did not so much as give me a welcome to my home kiss on the cheek. She, owing so much, hasn't stopped kissing my feet. Was she still doing it while he's talking? You, with little gratitude, thinking little was necessary, did not put oil on my head. She, with extravagance, poured perfume on my feet. Throughout this teachable moment, Jesus used the vocabulary and grammar of forgiveness, which is the language of financial debt and of faith, and not coincidentally. And Jesus used the syntax of love, which is the language of life, and faith necessarily she is forgiven she loves Simon you your sins are forgiven Jesus says to her as if they were not already so demonstrably plain and so wonderfully true your faith has saved you. Go in peace. You go in peace. Simon, you? And like the majority of the teachable moments in Luke's gospel, Luke leaves this in open invitation. We do not know what Simon answered. In Luke's gospel, we will almost never know how they, we, respond to this invitation. His friends that night clearly had missed the moment. They muttered something about who does Jesus think he is. The answer we already know from the earlier story of Jesus in the home of the publican. Jesus thinks he's the shepherd of Israel. And he's gone out seeking the lost lambs, the gracious forgiveness of God, who's so ready to forgive. So he goes into the home of the publican to offer God's salvation, God's forgiveness to these sinners. So Jesus goes into the home of the Pharisee. Do you think it's a different mission? Pharisees, 
Do you think it's a different mission? Do you think I stopped being a shepherd? Do you think I'm not seeking out the lost right now? While with you? In this story, Luke upsets what everyone thought they knew. Sinners there, separate ones here. Sinners out there, separate ones in here in the home. By using what we all know, whoever has been forgiven little loves little. Whoever has been forgiven much loves much. So that we could be prepared, like Simon, to learn what all of us must come to know. Jesus, friend of sinners, has come seeking the lost, calling them to repentance. And that means me. Jerry? You? The most gracious act of God in Luke's gospel is Jesus' sustained intentional confrontation with the Pharisees. Remember, Jesus tells the story of the prodigal son, the great climatic story, only to them. The love of God is seen in its most dramatic form when Luke tells us not of Jesus' long reach toward the acknowledged sinner. It's wonderful, wonder at it, linger long, love it. Jesus, friend of sinners. But the love of God is seen most powerfully when Luke shows us the repeated reach of the open hand of Jesus toward the unacknowledged sinner, the Pharisee. Jesus does this here in a twice-told story, the weeping woman in the depths forgiven, and in a three-time-told story, the lost lamb, the lost coin, the lost son in the chapters to come. And Luke does not record the response because it hasn't been given yet. The world's still out. The invitation is still being offered. Jesus still says, Simon, Jerry, I have something to tell you. That's the great news about the good news. It comes to those who think they're the righteous to protect them from becoming the self-righteous. Yeah, there's a difference between more and less. But there's no difference in the need. There's no difference in the offer. And there's no difference in the cost to the Savior and the invitation of the Savior who gives it. The distinctions that the Pharisees made were without difference. Not only to the lost lambs of the people of God has the great shepherd come. But to the shepherds. who had lost their way. Great, great is their debt.
Let me linger on that. And then let me live a life of love. Friends, Jesus is coming to your house. Got an alabaster jar ready. Let us pray. Persuade me that you've come for me. Open my ears that I may hear what you have to say. Open my heart that I may respond in love. Let my life, as you enter in, be characterized by weeping, wiping, kissing, pouring out with extravagance. And let me hear, your sins have been forgiven. You can go in peace. Amen.